hello, hello. This is Monica, and this is Remembering the Misremembered. And uh, today's episode is, I'm going to call it um, Inga Stevens, What Happened to the Farmer's Daughter. From the mid-1950s until her untimely death in 1970, Swedish actress Inger Stevens was a regular fixture in film and on television. She possessed delicate beauty, an enigmatic allure, and a palpable sadness. She made memorable appearances on The Twilight Zone, Bonanza, The Alfred Hitchcock Hour, Route 66, and other shows of that time period. From 1963 to 1966, she starred as Katie Holstrom in the television series The Farmer's Daughter winning a 1964 Golden Globe Award for Best TV Star for her work on that series. She was nominated for a number of other awards, too. Her film credits include Man on Fire with Bing Crosby, The World, the Flesh, and the Devil opposite Harry Belafonte, R.I.P. by the way to him, and Five Cards Stood with uh, Dean Martin, and she had romances with all these leading men and more. She was very susceptible to her leading men, and as a result, she experienced a lot of heartache. The circumstances of her death in 1970 at the age of just 35 continue to be debated to this very day. Ingrid Stensland was born in Stockholm, Sweden on October 18, 1934, the first child and only daughter of parents Per Gustav and Lisbeth Stensland. Inger had two younger brothers, Ola, a.k.a. Carl, two years her junior, and Peter, two years Carl's junior. Inger's parents fought a lot, and the message she received from this was to keep secrets and not reveal her true feelings. When Inger was six, her mother abandoned the family, running off with another man. Lizbeth returned to retrieve baby Peter, leaving Inger and Carl further traumatized. Shortly after that, Per Gustav won a scholarship to Harvard during World War II. So he too left Inger and Carl with the family maid, and then they were sent to live with their aunt, actress Corinne Stendhalen Junker. Per Gustav moved to New York, married an American woman, and took a job as a university professor. Inger, who was 10, was sent with 8-year-old Carl on a freighter from Sweden to the United States. They were unaccompanied, scared, and inspected by gruff German soldiers during a stop in Copenhagen. They didn't know what to expect. Inger and Carl arrived in New Orleans, expecting to be met by their father, but he was nowhere to be found. He was too busy to pick up his kids, who had not seen him in four years, and who had just endured a traumatic trip to a foreign land whose language they had yet to learn. Fortunately for them, the Salvation Army took pity upon them and made the arrangements to take them to their father and stepmother in New York by train. When Inger and her brother got to New York, they still were not reunited with their father, who was too busy working in Cape Cod to be bothered. Inger and her brother spent their first night in New York City in a bleak hotel, separated from one another. The next morning, the two siblings were put on a train to Cape Cod, and the reunion with their father finally happened. But that was not the end of their troubles. A hurricane hit their Cape Cod residence two days after Inger and Carl's arrival partially destroying the home. In 1948, Per Gustav was hired by Kansas State University and the family relocated to Manhattan, Kansas. 
anger excelled in school and became so fluent in English that she lost all traces of her Swedish accent. She was bitten by the acting bug when she saw her father perform as Ebenezer Scrooge in a local production of A Christmas Carol. Inger claimed to be an ugly duckling who didn't fit any, anywhere, and her hatred of the small town life that Manhattan, Kansas provided prompted 15-year-old Inger to run away from home. She ran off to either Kansas City or Chicago, accounts vary, working as a waitress and burlesque dancer under an assumed name. I don't know how long she was there, but she made $60 a week. I can't really see an ugly duckling being able to do this. Somehow, Per Gustav tracked her down and brought her back to Kansas, where she bided her time in her school theater and glee club. Upon graduating in 1952, Inger immediately packed her bags and moved to New York City to achieve her dream of an acting career. She met Asian Anthony Soglio, who changed her name from Ingrid Stensland to Inger Stevens. Inger was soon featured in commercials and was accepted into the actor's studio run by Lee Strasberg. She studied alongside the likes of Marlon Brando, Paul Newman, and James Dean. At the age of 21, Inger married her agent, Tony Soglio. They worked together successfully, but the marriage ended up being a disaster. Tony was very possessive and jealous. She later said that her wedding day was the worst day of her life, and she got married for the wrong reasons. Inger had married an emotionally unavailable man who reinforced the abandonment issues that had been put in place by her parents abandoning her at different times during her formative years. She would spend the rest of her life looking for love in all the wrong places. Inger and Tony separated in 1956 and divorced in 1957, with him continuing to work as her agent. She worked as a chorus girl and in stage productions. At 22, Inger experienced a career breakthrough the same year of her divorce when she was cast opposite Bing Crosby in Man on Fire. Inger fell in love with her 53-year-old co-star and was devastated and suicidal when their romance ended, supposedly because she was not Catholic and he quickly married a woman named Catherine Grant. Inger fell in love and engaged in affairs with many of her co-stars, as I have mentioned, including Dean Martin, Harry Belafonte, Anthony Quinn, and her last boyfriend was Burt Reynolds, with whom she starred in the made-for-TV movie Run, Simon Run. Many of these men were married at the time that they hooked up with Inger, and she would always be depressed and devastated when the shoot ended and they went back to their wives. While Inger was working on the film Cry Terror, she experienced another scenario that became a pattern for her. She almost died when she and other co-stars were overcome by carbon monoxide. Her co-star Rod Steiger claimed that Inger tried to resist the oxygen that she was given and that it seemed like she wanted to die. A year prior, while working on Man on Fire, she nearly died when she had an acute appendicitis attack. On New Year's Day, 1959, Inger attempted suicide by downing a bunch of pills. She said later that this was a stupid act and she vowed never to do it again. The 1960s was Inger Stevens' most professionally productive period. She did movies, TV, theater, and commercials. One of Inger's most memorable roles excuse me, was her performance in The Twilight Zone as Nan Adams in the episode called The Hitchhiker where she is stalked until she makes a startling realization. This episode aired on January 22, 1960, and is the 16th episode of the first season. 
There was an air of eerie foreshadowing surrounding Ingrid Stevens in this episode. Her fragility and a sense of inevitable doom come through, particularly when you take into consideration what ultimately happened to her. On December 2, 1960, she made another appearance on the iconic series as another character altogether in an episode called The Lateness of the Hour. This was in the show's second season. In 1961, she was nearly killed again on a Boeing 707 in Lisbon, Portugal. As the plane was bouncing off the runway, fire quickly spread into the passenger cabin and Inga was afraid that she would be burned alive. She was rescued from the plane right before it exploded, but this near tragedy had her convinced that she was on borrowed time. In an episode for the Dick Powell show called The Price of Tomatoes, Inger was cast opposite Peter Falk as a pregnant Romanian hiding from immigration police. Falk plays a truck driver who tries to help her. Both Inger Stevens and Peter Falk were nominated for Emmy Awards for their work in the episode. Next was Inger's role as a Swedish governess working for a widowed politician in the television series The Farmer's Daughter, a role that required Inger to recapture the Swedish accent that she had dropped years ago. The popular series was based on the 1947 film of the same name that starred Loretta Young and Joseph Cotton. It ran for three seasons and netted Inger one Golden Globe Award. After the series was canceled, Inger didn't miss a beat and found work in films that saw her co-starring opposite Walter Matthau, Clint Eastwood, Robert Mitchum, and Henry Fonda. In her last completed role, she played a social worker helping a Native American man played by Burt Reynolds, who was trying to avenge the murder of his brother. Of course, Burt and Inger started dating. Aaron Spelling had cast Inger in his new series, The Most Deadly Game. She would be playing a criminologist, and she seemed very excited about this new role and happy and optimistic about her future. But at 11 p.m. on the evening of April 29, 1970, Inger called her personal assistant, a woman named Chris Bone. According to her, Inger told her, that she and Burt Reynolds had argued. She was unhappy and asked Chris to come over, but Chris was not able to come at that time. Inger said that she had had two glasses of wine and was going to take a sleeping pill and go to bed. The following morning, which was April 30th, 1970, Inger was found lying face down on her kitchen floor by Lola McNally. Lola McNally rented a room from Inger in the Hollywood Hills, but had spent the night elsewhere. Inger was wearing a nightgown and scruffy slippers. She had a fresh cut on her chin covered with a bandage and there was an abrasion on her arm. Lola called Inger's name. Inger opened her eyes and tried to speak but nothing came out of her mouth. She soon lost consciousness. Lola called an ambulance which rushed her to Hollywood Receiving Hospital where she was pronounced dead on arrival at 10.30 a.m. <clears throat> Three hours later, the county coroner performed an autopsy. Inger's blood alcohol content was 0.17, <clears throat> more than two times the legal limit, and she had ingested between 25 and 50 pills. The cause of death was acute barbiturate intoxication, and it was ruled a suicide. Everyone who knew Inger Stevens was shocked and saddened by her death. Another surprise was in store when a handsome black man named Ike Jones came forward to claim the body of Inger Stevens, claiming to be her husband. Inger's brother, Carl, <clears throat> her father and stepmother, had a memorial service on May 4th and she was cremated, her ashes scattered in the Pacific Ocean. Ike Jones' claim that he was married to Inger Stevens was challenged in court. She had died without a will. 
The couple were married way back on November 18, 1961 in Tijuana, Mexico. Interracial marriage was not legalized in the United States until 1967. Jones played football for UCLA. He was the first African-American graduate of the UCLA School of Theater, Film, and Television, as well as the first African-American to produce a major motion picture, A Man Called Adam, starring Sammy Davis Jr. He was vice president of development of Harry Belafonte's production company, Harabelle Productions. He headed Nat King Cole's Kel Cole Productions. He would go on to become the first recipient of the Oscars Michaud Award from the Producers Guild of America. Inger and Ike kept the marriage secret from most of their friends and associates for fear that news of the union might destroy Inger's career. A decade after Inger married Ike, Jean Seberg's life and career were ruined due to her relationships with members of the Black Panther Party, and Inger saw in her lifetime how Meyer Britt's marriage to Sammy Davis Jr. tanked her career. Inger and Ike did not have a traditional marriage. Marriage did not stop them from engaging in constant extramarital relationships. You kind of wonder what was the point of the marriage. It was just as volatile as any of her other intimate relationships. Carl, Inger's brother, supported Ike's claims that he was Inger's estranged husband. And Ike <clears throat> did gain Inger's estate, although there really wasn't much to gain once her debts were paid. Was the death of Inger Stevens really a suicide? A lot of people believe in the suicide theory because it's the official cause and because she had attempted suicide back in 1959. It's important to note that no suicide note was found at the scene of her death. Could it have possibly been an accident? The accident theory doesn't hold much weight since we're talking about 25 to 50 pills here. How about murder? Two people who never bought the suicide theory were Inger's personal assistant, Chris Bone, and private investigator and author, William Patterson, who wrote a book about Inger Stevens entitled The Farmer's Daughter Remembered. Patterson pointed out the fact that Inger had been roughed up by someone, hence the fresh chin cut and arm abrasion. She had an IUD in place and apparently was in the middle of making her favorite sandwich when she was stricken. Also, there was a vial of some medication on her kitchen table and pills were strewn across her living room floor, including asthma medication, even though Inger did not suffer from asthma. He believed that somebody forced all those pills down her throat. Chris Bone believed that if Inger had committed suicide, she would have been more glammed up for her great exit with her hair done and wearing her best lingerie. William Patterson also said that he definitely didn't believe that Burt Reynolds had anything to do with Inger's death, although he had a suspect in mind. I don't know for sure, but I get the distinct impression that Ike Jones is who he likely had in mind. Ike was black after all, and their relationship was stormy and tumultuous. But weren't all her relationships that way? I don't know enough about Ike Jones's character to just point the finger at him like that. There were pictures of Bert in Inger's living room under her rug like she covered them up and didn't want anyone to see them. What does that mean? Did somebody want Inger's death to appear like a suicide over Bert Reynolds? Hmm. I also have to mention that Bert Reynolds' name was later tied to the death of 26-year-old David Whiting, business agent of Sarah Miles, Reynolds the man who loved cat dancing co-star. The rumor has it that Whiting and Reynolds, who were both said to be romantically involved with Sarah Miles or romantically interested in Sarah Miles, got into a brutal fist fight on February 11, 1973, which happened to be Bert's 37th birthday, in an Arizona travel lodge motel, 
that left Whiting with all kinds of cuts, bruises, and a bloody wound on the back of his head that the coroner claimed had no bearing on his death. His death was attributed to an accidental overdose of methylcholone, the same way Inger Stevens' chin cut and arm abrasion probably had nothing to do with her death, and her death was attributed to a barbiturate overdose. But Reynolds' stature in the business was growing at the time, and he had some powerful machinery behind him that could protect him. Not saying that he killed Inger Stevens, but it seemed strange not to consider him because he was one of the last people who saw her, or possibly the last person to see her alive. And then three years later, he's tied to uh, another mysterious death. I don't know if a cover-up exists in the death of Inger Stevens, but it looks odd and suspicious. What we do know is that this lovely, talented young lady died in the prime of her life when she still had a lot to offer. Inger wasn't just an actress either. She was very interested in mental health and served as chair of a California mental health charity and was also a member of an advisory board of neuropsychiatry. She had also been under the care of Dr. Ralph Greenson, the man best known as Marilyn Monroe's psychiatrist. Make of that what you will. I will end it here. Anyway, I'm Monica. This is Remembering the Misremembered, and I will see you soon with more stories.